Well, good morning. I, I appreciate uh, everybody leaving two rows between me and... <laughs> Brock's the brave one over here. Yeah. I'm in the zone. Hopefully everybody got a copy of the notes. There was only like one, one left over there. Um, so why don't we open in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and just thank you for uh, this brief time that we have to reflect on your word, to um, think about you, to meditate on um, what you have revealed to us in your word and how we can be, how we can better um, study your word, uh, be in your word, dwell on your word, Lord, uh, that it would be a benefit um, to all of us, Father, and glorifying ultimately to you. We give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen. So as you can see from the notes, we're going to be talking about uh, meditating on Scripture today. And uh, Pastor um, has been working through the confession in our normal Sunday school, so I thought when he asked me to, to teach, I thought I'd kind of go off something that's non-systematic, non, not, not inside the, the confession per se. So this is sort of just a, I wanted to call it meditating on meditating, but that seemed a little redundant. So um, we're just going to have some some reflections on meditation on scripture and, and the kind of the context for this is um, primarily looking at kind of how the Puritans thought of meditating on scripture it was a topic they wrote quite a bit about and obviously in our library here we have quite a few books by the Puritans and if you ever have trafficked reading the Puritans they do talk about meditating on scripture and uh, in fact two volumes that are on the very top there uh, Puritan Theology, a couple books by Joel Beakey. That's kind of been my source material for this. And I've, been, I've benefited from it greatly. And so I just wanted to kind of, kind of level set, talk about what meditating on Scripture is, um, how does that apply to us. And I'm, I'm, my hope for today is that it's an encouragement to us in our Christian walk, that it's a spur for us to be in the Word and studying it. So number one, why Christian meditation on the Scriptures? Uh, there's kind of two tracks, uh, kind of obvious, but one is God commands it. It's a biblical theme. And two, the nature of our times. And I was just having a conversation with, with Kim right before this, talking about how sometimes hard it is to focus these days uh, on anything. Focus on job, focus on studying the scriptures, focus on just reading a book, focusing on your family, focusing on your spouse, just focusing we're so all over the place right now. It's sort of the spirit of the age, right? We have phones, computers, email, and whatnot. And so I feel like the practice of Christian meditation is something that uh, needs to be stressed these days. So just the nature of our times, it's important to talk about meditating on Scripture. Uh, and number two, and I won't go do a full exposition of all these passages, um, but it's a biblical theme, and it's primarily directly an Old Testament theme, but it's indirectly all over the Bible. Uh, obviously, Jesus uh, um, went away many times in the New Testament. He would go away to pray. Well, he was going away, and he was meditating on the greatness of God. And, and so you see it all through the scriptures, but it's explicit in a few passages in the Old Testament. Um, Genesis 24 talks about Isaac uh, going out into the field toward evening and meditating. And so here we have one of the patriarchs going away and meditating. And if you want to open your, your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. Um, 
we see a direct command of God here to Joshua. Now the context here is obviously this is after the death of Moses. And God is essentially commissioning Joshua um, to go into the land that he promised and, and execute holy war. And so this is a height of God's people. This is a key moment. And I'll, I'll start in chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I, will, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This is the key. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So here we have a direct command from God to Joshua, and by extension, the people of God, and by extension, the church of God, to meditate day and night on his law and his word. So we have a direct command from Scripture to meditate on his word. And then... Further on, if you, if you do a word study in Psalms, um, meditation is a central key component in the Psalms, in the various prayers and songs in Psalms. And so, right off the bat, um, in Psalm chapter 1, we have, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And I thought Plummer had a really good comment on this, and I thought I'd bring the largest book I could find in my library, in that library. Um, it's good for reading. It's also good for setting a foundation for a, a literal house and spiritually. Um, and so um, Plummer wrote um, on chapter on chapter 1, verse 2, about meditating uh, on the law of the Lord day and night. He says, another positive sign of a renewed man is that he meditates in the law of the Lord day and night. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Vain thoughts lodge in all ungodly men, but the righteous hate sinful imaginings. What the wicked would be ashamed to act or speak out, the righteous is ashamed to think or desire. Yet his mind is full of activity. He meditates. The power of reflection chiefly distinguishes a man from a brute. The habit of reflection chiefly distinguishes a wise man from a fool. Pious reflection on God's word greatly distinguishes a saint from a sinner. Without meditation, grace never thrives. Prayer is languid, praise dull, and religious duties unprofitable. 
Yet to flesh and blood without divine grace, this is an impossible duty. It is easier to take a journey of a thousand miles than to spend an hour in close, devout, profitable thought on divine things. Like prayer, meditation is to be pursued day and night, not reluctantly, but joyously, not merely in God's house or on the Lord's day, but whenever other duties do not forbid. With such incessant study that even when the act ceases, there is no abatement of the pious affection. Nor does the true child of God slight any part of divine truth. He loves it all. Bates says, Habitual and delightful thoughts are the best discovery of our hearts and our spiritual state. Words and actions may be overruled and counterfeit for diverse reasons, but thoughts are invisible productions of the soul, and without fear or mask, without restraint or disguise, disassembling discover, discovery the disposition of the heart. Thoughts are the immediate offspring of the soul, and as the waters that immediately flow from the spring are strongest of the mineral, so the thoughts are most deeply tinctured with the affections. A saint is therefore described by his meditating in the law of God day and night, which is the natural and necessary effect of his delight in it. I thought those were really good words from Plummer about what it means to meditate on the word of God uh, day and night, and what a true Christian, a true uh, man or woman of God uh, desires. And so there's many other psalms here uh, that talk about meditating on the word of God. Psalm 4, 4, tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Psalm 27, 4, one thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek, then I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Um, Psalm 63 talks about when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. I love the Psalms, how they, there's a place for this meditation as well. It, these are, they're meditating at night. They're on their bed. They're, they're, they're thinking about what's happening during the day and they're meditating. Uh, Psalm 77, I will remember my song in the night. I will meditate in my heart. Um, and just jumping down, uh, there's, other psalms that talk about meditating, but Psalm 119 also is rich in the meditating on the on the law of God. That's the specific focus in Psalm 119, is meditating, studying, being in the law of God. Psalm 119.15 says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. And this is another uh, exposition of just Psalm 119 by Charles Bridges. Highly recommend. He was a contemporary of J.C. Ryle. Uh, we might have this in the library. If not, we'll, we'll get Clark on it. Uh, but I highly recommend it. Um, this, these are his comments on Psalm 119, um, verse 15. So I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Our rejoicing in the testimonies of God will naturally flow in a habitual meditation in them. The thoughts follow the affections. The carnal man can never be brought to this resolution. Having no spiritual taste, he has no ability for spiritual meditation. Indeed, many sincere Christians, through remaining weakness and depravity, are too often reluctant to it. They are content with indolent reading, and with scarcely a struggle or trial, yield themselves up to the persuasion that they are unable sufficiently to abstract their minds for this blessed employment. But let the trial prove the work. Perseverance will accomplish the victory over mental instability, and the spiritual difficulty will give way to prayer. 
Lord, help me. The fruitfulness of this employment will soon be manifest. Does it not, quote, stir up the gift of God that is in us and keep the energies of the heart in a wakeful posture of conflict and resistance? Besides this, it is the digestive faculty of the soul which converts the word into real and proper nourishment so that this resolving of a single so that this revolving of a single verse in our minds is often better than the mere reading of whole chapters. Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. That's Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. Another quote on Jeremiah fifteen sixteen Meditation is that exercise of mind whereby it recalls a known truth, as some kinds of creatures do their food to be ruminated upon until the nutritious parts are extracted and fitted for the purposes of life. Thus the mind becomes the instrument of faith and love, of joy and strength. But this meditation not only includes the stated times of thought, but the train of holy thoughts that pass through the mind during the busy hours of the day. This maintains a habitual flow of spiritual desires and excites the flame of love within, Till at length the psalmist's resolution becomes the inwrought habit of our minds. I will meditate on thy precepts. Can we want a subject for meditation if indeed the salvation of Jesus has been made known to our souls? While musing upon the glorious theme, does not the fire burn within as if our hearts were touched with a live coal from the altar of God? Chide then, believer, thy dull and sluggish spirit that suffers the precious manna to lie ungathered upon the ground that is slow to entertain these heavenly thoughts, or rather that heavenly guest, whose peculiar office it is to help our infirmities, and especially to take of Christ and show it unto us. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit there. The exercise, however, of this, as of every other duty, may prove a barren form that imparts neither pleasure nor profit. And, quote, If a chapter be read with the eye merely, while the mind remains inattentive, and the book be shut as soon as the chapter is finished, and thus, what has been read immediately escaped the memory. What is there to surprise if after the whole Bible has been several times read through, we discover in ourselves no increase of piety and devotion? Let each of us then ask, what distinct experimental benefit have I received from the Word? Do I endeavor to read it with prayerful meditation until I find my heart filled with it? But this communing with the word is not for contemplation, but for practice. By meditating on God's precepts, we learn to have respect unto his ways, carefully pondering the path of our feet, that we turn not aside. Thy loving kindness is before mine eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. My foot, saith Job, hath held his steps. His ways have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than necessary food. Those are some great thoughts from Bridges about the nature of this meditation. And I love also the, the um, comparing it to digestion. And that's actually in, it's in the, the, the Puritans quite a bit. They talk about the nourishment and the digestion of the word. So we all know you go have a great meal and you enjoy the food with the taste. But the real benefit is the benefit to your body in eating good food and what that does for your body. And that's kind of what the Puritans are kind of getting at there with the digestion. And so I, I leave those thoughts to you. Uh, I, I would encourage everyone to meditate on the Psalms and what they, what they say about the law of the Lord. Um, so 
just going to run through some kind of definitions. What are we talking about when we talk about meditation? Um, obviously, there's a lot of negative connotation around meditation in our, in our modern world, right? Um, the focus here is Christian meditation as defined by our Puritan forefathers. Uh, a Kind of a dictionary definition of meditation to put forth, meditate, to muse, to commune, speak, complain, ponder, and sing. We see all of that. If you read through the Psalms and through the minor prophets, there's a lot of complaining going on there. Is there not? Well, that's a form of meditation. They're, they're before the Lord with their complaints, with their moanings, with their ponderings. Um, it also is to talk, to sing, to speak, to put forth thoughts and to consider. The word meditate or muse means to think upon or reflect. While I was musing, the fire burned. That's Psalm 39.3. It also means to murmur, to mutter, to make sound with mouth. It implies that we express by one talking to himself. Such meditation involved reciting to oneself in a low undertone passages of scripture one had committed to memory. When I, I cannot, obviously the, a great biblical example of that is Hannah. And you know the story of Hannah. She's off over here. She's praying to the Lord, and Eli thinks she's a drunk woman, right? But she's actually praising the Lord. She's in distress. That's what she says to Eli. I am in distress. And So what she's doing, she's praying to the Lord, but she's meditating on the promises. Ultimately, we know, praying on the promises and meditating on the promises of the Lord. Um, and this point here, C, is kind of tied into what we had already talked about. But the Bible often speaks of meditation. Um, we talked about Genesis, Joshua, Psalms. Isaac going out and meditating in the evening. Um, we t Joshua, so despite the uh, Joshua's demanding task of supervising the conquest of Canaan, no small feat, the Lord commanded Joshua to meditate on the book of the law day and night so that he might do all that is written in it. Um, and then we talked about um, the, Psalm, the Psalms and how uh, meditation is all through the book of Psalms. Um, letter D, thinking, reflecting, or musing presupposes a subject on which to meditate. And we'll talk about this a little later in the study. Formal meditation implies weighty subjects. For example, philosophers meditate on concepts such as matter and the universe, while theologians reflect on God, the eternal decrees, and the will of man. Um, and the Puritans never tired of saying that biblical meditation involves thinking upon the triune God and his word. By anchoring meditation in the living word, Jesus Christ, and God's written word, the Bible, the Puritans distance themselves from the kind of bogus spirituality or mysticism that stresses contemplation at the expense of actions and flights of imagination at the expense of biblical content. So that's obviously a distinction from modern inventions of meditation, Eastern forms of meditation, either in Hinduism or Buddhism, or even in our sort of complete soup of whatever American spirituality is today. So this is more of a call to say, let's not, we're not talking about that. We're talking about Christian uh, meditation here. Thomas Watson, uh, one of my favorite Puritans, defined meditation as a holy exercise of mind, of the mind, whereby we bring the truths of God to remembrance and do seriously ponder upon them and apply them to ourselves. Uh, Edmund Calamy wrote, a true meditation is when a man doth so meditate of Christ as to get his heart inflamed with the love of Christ, so meditate of the truths of God as to be transformed into them, 
and so meditate of sin as to get his heart to hate sin. He went on to say that in order to do good, meditation must enter three doors. The door of understanding, the door of the heart and affections, and the door of practical living. Thou must so meditate of God as to walk as God walks, and so meditate of Christ as to prize him and live in obedience to him. And so those are just some some thoughts about the definition. What are we talking about when we talk about meditating on the word of God? We have biblical examples. We have David. We have Hannah. We have God commanding Joshua in the midst of the conquest of Canaan to be to say day and night. There's no exception there. That's all the time. Even in the midst of a conquest, God is saying, you are to meditate on my word. And so what are the benefits of meditation on scripture? What are the, the, the benefits of being in the word, ruminating on it, um, digesting it, really um, musing over it? And so there's a, I have a sort of a cavalcade of, of benefits here. Um, and a lot of these come from, from uh, Joel Beakey and his work on meditation of, in the scriptures uh, by the Puritans. So these are just sort of a, a sampling of all of the different things that the Puritans talked about uh, as the benefits of meditating on scripture. Meditation helps us focus on the triune God, to love and to enjoy him in all his persons, intellectually, spiritually, and aesthetically. And 1 John 4, 8 says, anyone who does not, who does not love does not know God because God is love. Uh, meditation helps increase knowledge of sacred truth. It takes the veil from the face of truth. Uh, meditation is the nurse of wisdom, for it promotes the fear of God, which is the beginning of wisdom. And that should be Proverbs 1, 1 7, not 1 8. There just... I realized that mistake afterwards. So Proverbs 1, 7. The beginning of, of knowledge is the fear of God. Meditation enlarges our faith by helping us to trust the God of promises in all our spiritual troubles and the God of providence in all our outward troubles. One, one practice that I've been benefited over the years is searching the scriptures for God's promises and then meditating on them and then speaking them back to God and praying over God's promises. That's one thing. Again, I've talked about Hannah. There's other uh, biblical examples of that. That's a great encouragement. Um, meditation augments one's affections. Watson called meditation the bellows of the affections. He said, meditation hatcheth good affections as the hen her young ones by sitting on them. We light affection at this fire of meditation. And that's Psalm 39.3. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Meditation fosters repentance and reformation of life. Psalm 119.59 says, When I think on my ways, when I meditate on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimony. So meditation is, is an encouragement to repentance and reformation of life. Meditation is a great friend to memory. The longer we muse, the longer we sit over scriptures, the quicker it becomes part of who we are and we remember it. And we can recall that those scriptures at, at any time. Meditation helps us view worship as a discipline to be cultivated. It makes us prefer God's house to our own. Meditation transfuses scripture through the texture of the soul. Meditation is a great aid to prayer. Psalm 5.1, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. It, turn, it tunes the instrument of prayer before prayer. 
Meditation helps us to hear and read the word with real benefit. It makes the word, quote, full of life and energy to our souls. William Bates wrote, hearing the word is like ingestion. And when we meditate upon the word, that is digestion. And this digestion of the word by meditation produces warm affections, zealous resolutions, and holy actions. Uh, meditation on the sacraments offer, helps our graces to be better and stronger. It helps faith, hope, love, humility, and numerous spiritual comforts thrive in the soul. Meditation stresses the heinousness of sin. It musters up, quote, it musters up all the weapons and gathers all the forces of arguments for, for to press our sins and lay them heavy upon our heart, wrote Fenner. Hooker said, meditation sharpens the sting and strength of corruption that it pierceth more prevailingly. It is a strong antidote against sin and a cure for covetousness. Meditation enables us to discharge religious duties because it conveys to the soul the lively sense and feeling of God's goodness. So the soul is encouraged to duty. Uh, meditation helps prevent vain and sinful thoughts. It helps wean us from the present evil age. I think that's one that we can all um, relate to. Uh, the more we're outside the word of God, the more that we're not reading um, Christian things, uh, the more the world is in our face all the time because of devices, job, email, whatever, the internet. It's always there. As the Bible said, sin is always crouching at the door ready to have you. And so th what meditation is, is this is, like I said earlier, this is a taking up of arms against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Um, meditation provides inner resources on which to draw, including direction for daily life. Meditation helps us preserve, persevere in faith. It keeps our hearts savory and spiritual in the midst of all our outward and worldly employments. Uh, meditation is a mighty uh, weapon to ward off Satan and temptation. Uh, meditation provides relief in afflictions. Meditation helps us benefit others with our spiritual fellowship and counsel. So as we are in the word more, as we meditate on the word more, we can be an encouragement to other brothers and sisters in Christ. Meditation promotes gratitude for all the blessings showered upon us by God through, our, through his son. And then ultimately, meditation glorifies God. So I wanted to share another quote here. Let me see if I got it. From George Swinnick about meditating. And this is... Um, in, from Isaiah 63, 24, before they call, I will answer. So this is Swinnick's thoughts on, on meditation. Meditation prepares the heart for prayer. We, we kind of mentioned that earlier, that meditation before prayer helps our prayers. Meditate, so this is kind of in his context of what to meditate on, what to think about. Meditation prepares the heart for prayer. Meditate on your sins and hunt them out of their lurking holes. This helps in our confession. Meditate on your needs, for God is fully able to supply them. Consider what you need, pardoning mercy, strength for victory, power against sin, that you may entreat God to give them to you. Meditate upon his mercies to you from birth. Look at the dangers you have been delivered from, the journeys you have been protected in, the seasonable help he has sent you, 
the suitable support he has afforded you in distress, the counsel he has given you in doubts, and the comforts he has provided you in sorrow and darkness. These are present with you by meditation. Every breath in your life is a gift of mercy. Do not forget the former favors bestowed on you and your family. An empty perfume bottle still smells when the perfume is gone. Then meditate upon your present mercies. How many do you enjoy? Your house, family, body, and soul are all full of blessings. Think of them particularly. Spread them out like jewels to your view. Meditate on how freely they are bestowed on their fullness and greatness. But, oh, your soul's mercies, the image of God, the blood of Christ, eternal life, and seasons of grace. Your whole life is a bundle of mercies. These stir up to bless the giver. Then meditate on God to whom we pray. Oh, how we are ashamed of our drops when we stand by the ocean. Meditate on his mercy and goodness. These, like Moses' strokes, will fetch water out of a rock. God delights to be sought and found. He delights to see men joyful in the house of prayer. God will not send you away sad. When you have, by meditation, put the wood in order upon the altar, you may by prayer set fire to it and offer up sacrifice of sweet-smelling Savior. I thought that was a really good thing, thoughts on meditation, what to meditate on. Um, can't beat Swinnock there. Um, so I have here kind of in, kind of to, in closing um, subjects of meditation. And this list is called from all the Puritans. So this is, Beakey did a work where he basically went through and looked at every single topic the Puritans talked about when they were talking about meditating on scripture. And this literally reads like a systematic theology. And that's how it's, how it's um, organized here. So you'll recognize that. But meditating on scripture, of course the Puritans were always detailed in everything they did. The, this is an almost an exhaustive list of everything that they said is worthy of meditation. Uh, the sacred word of God, the defense of Christianity, um, theology proper, the nature and attributes of God, the works and providences of God, the glory of, God's, the glory of God is man's chief end, the majesty of God, the mercies of God, God is creator. Um, anthropology, the, the study of man, the sinfulness of sin and our personal sin, the corruption and deceitfulness of the heart, the fall, of at, fall in Adam and estrangement from God, the vanity of man, the value and immortality of the soul, the frailty of the body, the uncertainty of earthly comforts, the sin of covetousness, the contrast between God and man. One thing I note on covetousness, the Puritans talked a lot of they, they talk a lot about covetousness and that sin, and that that is a sin that we deal with again in our modern culture quite a, quite a bit. But it's not talked about a lot. But the Puritans talked about it quite a bit. Um, the study of Christology, so the passion and death of Christ, meditating on Christ's passion, the love of Christ, the person of Christ, the mystery and wonder of the gospel, the natures, the offices, the life, and the states of Christ, all worthy topics of meditation. Soteriology in the Christian life, the study of salvation, the promises of God, self-examination for experiential evidences of grace. The rich privileges of believers, the grace and person of the Holy Spirit, the benefits of faith, sanctification, prayer, the commandments of God, the admonishments and threatenings of God, 
the danger of apostasy, the small number of saved, spiritual dangers, love, joy, and hope, the Sabbath, and self-denial. Ecclesiology, the ordinances of God, the Lord's Supper, meditating on baptism, hearing and reading the word, the joys and sorrows of the church. And then finally, eschatology, uh, meditating on heaven, meditating on death, judgment, hell, and eternity. And so these are just a sampling of thoughts. I mean, it's, it's, it's a systematic theology. You can just go literally pick up a systematic theology and start meditating through the word that way. And I just have uh, one more thought from um, our good friend John Owen. I can't teach a Sunday school in this church without referencing John Owen or pastoral. We'll catch wind of that. Um, so this is uh, John Owen, and he's commenting on Psalm 119.11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So it's really touching on meditating on the word, storing up that word in our heart. And, and his focus here is, is on, on sin. So here's Owen. Sin by its deceit endeavors to draw off the mind from a holy frame of walking with God in that in, in that in which the soul can be preserved, namely prayer and meditation. Because many are at a great loss in this duty of meditation, and since it has so great an effect for controlling the workings of the law of sin, I shall present three dis- directions for a right performance of this great duty. These are, they are these. One, meditate about God with God. That is, undertake thoughts and meditations about God, his excellencies, his glory, his majesty, his love, his goodness, and let it be done by way of speaking unto God with a deep humiliation and abasement of our souls before him. This will fix the mind to give glory unto God in a due manner and affect the soul until it is brought unto a holy admiration of God and such a delight in him that it is acceptable unto him. My meaning is that it be done by way of prayer and praise, speaking unto God. Number two, meditate on the word as you read it. Consider the sense in the particular passages, looking to God for help, guidance, and direction in the discovery of his mind and will in it, and then labor to have your heart affected with it. And number three, if you come short of this in evenness and consistency in thought, let it be made up in frequency. Some are discouraged because their minds do not regularly supply them with thoughts to carry on their meditations through the weakness or imperfections of their inventions. Let this be supplied by frequent returns of the mind unto the subject proposed, and new insight will be supplied unto it. These duties promote a special opposition to the very being and life of indwelling sin, or rather, faith in them does so. They are perpetually designing its utter ruin. So that was good encouragement from from Owen there about if 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 you're struggling in your in your study and in your reading of the word in your meditation and and you don't feel like keep going back to it just keep keep chopping wood i mean just keep going don't stop um so just a uh, final couple final thoughts here from um from Watson uh renew says no holy duties will come to us we must come to them let us heed Watson's exhortation. If you have formerly neglected it, bewail your neglect, and now begin to make conscious of it. Lock up yourselves with God, at least once a day, by holy meditation. Ascend this hill, and when you are gotten to the top of it, 
you shall see a fair prospect, Christ in heaven before you. Let me put you in mind of that saying of Bernard, O saint, knowest thou not that thy husband Christ is bashful, and will not be familiar in company? Retire thyself by meditation into the closet or the field, and there thou shalt have Christ's embraces. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this this time um, to meditate on your word and what you would have for us. Uh, Lord, I pray that um, this is an encouragement to the brothers and sisters in this room. Lord, I pray for each soul here, Lord, that you would encourage them and, and light a fire in their hearts to be continue, ever continuously in your word and searching it, Father. Pray for Pastor Ray as uh, he opens the word to us this morning. I pray that you would anoint him at this hour um, in power to rightly divide the word of truth uh, for us, Father, and, and that our worship would be a sweet aroma to you, Father. We give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen.